Welcome to Life Happens, where Texans come to protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, attorney Kim Hegwood of Your Legacy Legal Care and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens. Now here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Good morning and welcome to Life Happens with me, Kim Hegwood, and our very special guest today is Tammy Anastasia. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. No, I'm super excited because this is, uh, you know, talking about caregiver stuff is always very exciting for me. Uh, I've been a caregiver, so and I'm very passionate about caregivers taking care of themselves and everything. So this is right up my alley today as far as the things that, you know, are important to me. So it's, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be as good for the listeners. And today we're going to talk about essential strategies for the dementia caregiver. Mm -hmm. And so, and you have a unique approach. Um, I believe when I was, you know, reading through some stuff, um, you talk about helping caregivers with a PACE paradigm. Can mm-hmm. you can you break that down and let's sure. talk about what that is so that our listeners have an idea of what you're talking about? Sure, sure. So I have a private practice and I work with um, family caregivers, the primary family caregiver mostly. And what happens is as, as their loved one's brain changes because of dementia, you have repetitive questions. And there's certain things that I just saw right out of the gate that burn them out. They get tired and it depletes their energy. So I came up with the PACE acronym to PACE yourself because this journey can be years. It could be months. And I didn't want them to, they, they need to conserve their energy throughout the uh, the journey. So PACE stands for, P stands for permission for trial and error. Unfortunately, there's not a perfect, perfect, perfect mm-hmm. a, a caregiver. There's not a perfect strategy that's going to work 100% for everybody. But what we want to do is you try something. If it doesn't work, let's learn why it didn't work, because often we'll be able to figure out why it didn't work will help us figure out what will work. And what goes hand in hand with permission to trial and error is to also be more patient with yourself. You know, it's a big learning curve to take care of a loved one with dementia. So one of the best ways to do that is to detach and not take what they say and do personally, which is really, really difficult. So I have this mantra, um, you know, dementia is causing my loved one to behave this way. And the more you repeat that over and over to yourself, it allows you to detach And then I respond more empathetically because when we take things personally, we react. And so I wanted to slow down that reactionary time and allow them to have more appropriate responses based on what's happening with their loved one's brain. The A stands for acknowledge their reality. Unfortunately, as dementia progresses, their reality becomes very altered. They have distorted perceptions, they have irrational thoughts, and the the caregiver doesn't know how to interact with those changes. So in my book, I talk about how to um, communicate now. You communicate differently when someone has dementia. So I talk a lot about how to enter that world and communicate with them. Then the C stands for compassionate care, not only for the person providing compassionate care for the person with 
dementia, but also for yourself because it's an emotional roller coaster. So I talk about how to be compassionate with yourself and I normalize the feelings you're going to have. You're going to be angry. You will be sad. There's loss. We call it ambiguous loss, anticipatory grief. All these emotions fluctuate. So how to be compassionate with yourself and caregiver guilt is a huge issue. So I talk about how to deal with caregiver guilt. Then E is to empower yourself. One of the best ways to empower yourself is to educate yourself more about dementia, this process, take good care of yourself. And then I line up your ducks, what's coming down the road. Uh, in my book, I, I have all the questions to ask home care agencies. When is a good time to bring in home care? Um, hospice, um, when you go to a care community, all the questions to ask care communities and establish an emergency plan. God forbid something should happen to you, the primary caregiver, what will happen to your loved one? So that is pretty much in a nutshell what the PACE acronym is. So so in your practice, um, you know, you talk to a lot of caregivers, you know, obviously in, um, in, in what you do. What do you think is their biggest um, challenge that they face, you know, taking care of that loved one with dementia? Yeah, there are several, there's several challenges. I would say the top three, one is definitely dealing with caregiver guilt. What happens for the family caregiver? All of a sudden, all these choices, all these demands, all these responsibilities are on your shoulder. And the caregiver is often concerned that um, sometimes what we have to do is go against the wishes of their loved one because they have dementia. So one of the most difficult challenges is they want approval, they want acceptance from their loved one, but their loved one has dementia. And this will trigger a lot of caregiver guilt. So that's, that's a huge issue, caregiver guilt. And again, wanting that approval and, and we have to put things in a frame of mind that allow the family caregiver to see that every decision you make is with the best of intentions, but that takes time to work through it. That's a huge issue. The other one is being honest about my limitations, what I can do and what I can't do. And allowing and bringing in support much earlier than most people do. How do you how do you give yourself permission? They're often afraid that if I bring in support, my loved one's going to get angry. So how do we facilitate that so that you your needs get met at the same time you're trying to meet your loved one's needs? So what tends to happen is the family caregiver their needs tends to go by the wayside while they're caring for a loved one. And we wanna make sure your needs get met, not at the expense of your physical, mental and emotional well-being, but that we meet your needs as well. So those are two huge challenges that the uh, family caregiver struggles with. And the third one is, how do I relate to this person that I, has been in my life for so many years and that brain is being altered? That's a huge challenge, letting go of what was and learning how to now embrace my loved one as a person living with dementia. So I would say those are the three big, big, big challenges. There's more, but those are the three I would say are the top challenges. So, so let's kind of switch a little bit and let's talk about, you know, some of the whys. Sure. No. Um, you know, why does, you know, my loved one, you know, do this or blame me or ask repetitive questions and, yeah. 
you know, or just don't want help or argue, you know, those kind of things. What, what happens in that regards? Yes, great question. I feel the more we understand why behind their behavior, sometimes that really helps us know how to respond and react. So repetitive behaviors or repetitive questions, especially, that happens because of short-term memory loss. They literally don't remember asking you the question and or respond your response to the question. The other thing I like people to know about repetitive questions is there's often themes to the questions. They're either repeating something over and over that's memorable, something they're worried about, something they're concerned about. And we need to listen to what those themes might be because then we will know preemptively how to respond to those repetitive questions. When a person with dementia is argumentative, it's because they truly, truly, truly believe what their brain is telling them. And if you're, if you're challenging me, if you're correcting me and you're telling me I'm wrong, um, think about anything you firmly, firmly believe in. And I come along and try to dispute it. I come along and tell you, you shouldn't feel that way. Uh, I tell you the way you're feeling is wrong. You're going to get argumentative and you're not going to like me too much, right? So yeah. that's no different for somebody with dementia. They're responding the same way we would, except for what they may be thinking might be irrational, but they truly, truly believe what their brain is telling them. And then if they're combative, we see this a lot with personal hygiene. So we all have a defense mechanism. Anytime we think we're being threatened, our defense mechanism is to protect ourselves. Well, unfortunately, with people living with dementia, their perceptions can be distorted. You know you're trying to help them. You know you're trying to assist them. But if their brain is distorted and they see you as threatening, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to become combative to protect myself. Again, no different for us other than what they're getting combative about is something that's being distorted in their brain. We know what we're doing is, is to be helpful, but they see it as threatening. When that happens, that's a red flag. We have to change our approach. So it makes sense, right? If they perceive me as being uh, threatening, I want to protect myself. My defense mechanism's kicking in just like it would for any of us. But what I perceive to be threatening is very different than what a person with dementia is going to perceive as being threatening. And then let's talk about why they blame us for everything. Uh, they're very <laughs> accusatory. And unfortunately for the family caregiver, uh, you're it most of the time because you're the one that spends the most time with them. So let me explain what, what happens there. And, and again, this is just my, my professional experience and my background in counseling psychology. Um, so what happens is, let's say, Kim, you were, you decided one day you wanted to clean up your office and you cleaned up your office and you put files and papers away. And all of a sudden you wanted to find a, a piece of paper. What immediately would you think? Where did I put it? You can't really, but you remember having it last, right? You remember you're the one who had this file. I just can't remember where I placed it. Well, imagine you can't even remember having the file. Remember, you can't even, you don't even remember having the piece of paper. So the brain's default is, well, if I didn't move it, if I didn't touch it, someone else must have. 
So here again, it's just the default of the brain to say, well, if I didn't move it, then someone here must have taken it. And this is why they accuse you of taking it because they truly don't remember having it. Therefore, unfortunately, the family caregiver is to blame for it. So I help prepare people how to deal with these react these reactions, these responses, because they're normal for a person living with dementia. And it really is learning a whole new skill set on how to deal with these things. But to help understand what's behind the behavior will help know how to respond going forward. So that's a little insight on why people living with dementia may say and do some of the things they do. Well, that's really good and helpful, you know, advice. And, um, and so someone that, um, that I absolutely loved and adored had an Alzheimer's and, and she mm. did repetitive questions, you know, all the time. And I just kept answering the same question, you know, so, I mean, I didn't know what else to do at the time. I was a lot younger then, you know, so I've learned a lot since then, but still, you know, it's, um, I think education is so important, you know, as far as having someone, you know, in your family or somebody you care about, you know, that has, you know, has the diagnosis and they're, they're going through this. And, you know, for the most part, we do everything we can to help, you know, our yes. clients, you know, get through the process. And so, yes, but, yes. So, but, you know, but now we reach the time where, you know, that they just can't stay home anymore. That's right. And, um, and so, you know, how do you make that decision that, you know, because I don't know that, you know, even though we asked the question, you know, when is the right time? You know, is there a right time? That's a great question. And it's probably one of the most excruciating decisions a family caregiver has to make. Again, because if they uh, vowed, did marriage vows, you know, well, I always want to live at home. Unfortunately, I always tell people dementia demands more care than one person can provide because what happens as dementia progresses is that they lose every functionality. And so what starts off as something that's manageable becomes more and more difficult to manage because as your loved one progresses, their needs increase and they become more and more dependent on you for everything. So this is an excruciating decision for most family caregivers. And at the same time, they will often feel it's the right decision, even though it's excruciating. So some of the markers, and I have these in my book as well, is that safety. Safety always comes first. And as dementia progresses, uh, your loved one starts to, to become a little more unstable on their feet. They're a higher fall risk. And your safety has to be considered. If your loved one fail, could you pick them up? Are you in, in jeopardy of falling? Um, so safety is a, a huge criteria. And then also at some point where incontinence or personal hygiene becomes more and more difficult to deal with, that's often an indicator as well. Sometimes medication management refusal, uh, that might be an indication. And often there'll be more than just one. Like I'm listing a few, you're going to have two or three of these indicators are going to be what's going to say to you, you know, the time is right. And then also apathy. One of the symptoms of dementia is they become very apathetic and we know we've got to keep them as engaged as possible physically, mentally, and emotionally, right? And it becomes, and socially, it becomes really challenging 
when your loved one becomes very apathetic. And a lot of times I'll hear family caregivers say to me, well, they're just lazy. And I have to say, no, 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 it's not that they're lazy. They've lost that ability to be self-starters that to motivate themselves because of what's happening to the brain. So these care communities can provide that stimulation, that social stimulation, the cognitive stimulation that they need, and also um, the physical stimulation that they need. So those are a lot of the, the markers that we use um, in terms of to help determine when. And, and that's going to vary from person to person, right? There's not going to be a set marker for, for across the board. It's going to vary from person to person, relationship to relationship, age, age. Um, you know, and how is the family caregiver, who the primary caregiver is, how is this affecting your health? We have to factor that in because that is going to be key in terms of what you can handle and what you can no longer handle. This wears on you physically, mentally, and emotionally. It's a long journey and we wanna make sure that we provide the best support possible for the family caregiver, the primary caregiver as well, or care partner. So let's kind of close for a little bit with just a little more information, you know, for, for our caregivers out there. And so, and what can people expect as the dementia progresses? So what you can expect is it's it's going to progress. And at some point, as I mentioned earlier, every functionality is going to be affected. And it can be a very slow progression. Uh, it could be a faster progression. And that's the thing that's so difficult is uh, somebody, my grandmother had it. I don't want to freak anybody out. My grandmother lived with it for 22 years. And back in the day, they called it senility. And, you know, I was young. I wasn't quite sure. Now as a dementia consultant and a specialist, I'm like, oh, my God, her symptoms were classic Alzheimer's. So what we can expect is what I said earlier is that is every functionality at some point is going to be taken away from them. And you're going to see little changes little by little by little. Uh, in my book, I talk about how it's going to progress. You can also find that information on Google. You've got different stages and the stages will tell you, you know, also what to expect in terms of progression. So that's a way of really getting educated. And again, I address those stages in my book as well. But there are characteristics, you know, what starts off as maybe um, they can still go from point A to point B, but at some point now they're getting lost. They can't go from point A to point B. You're just going to see different things starting to get a little bit worse. And again, the rate of progression varies from person to person. But what they used to be able to do, you'll slowly see, becomes less and less capable of doing over time. Yeah. So it's really, really challenging. And it's heartbreaking to watch. Brilliant, smart, super successful people and to see what dementia does. But we can still connect with them. We just have to connect with them now on a different level. Yeah, it's important. I had a client bring me um, a picture of... The, the spouse prior to the diagnosis and then a picture of today. And it was, um, it was just a drastic, huge, drastic difference, you know, so uh, it was very sad. So first off, tell the listeners, what is the name of your book? Oh, the name of my book is Essential Strategies for the Dementia Caregiver, Learning mm -hmm. to Pace Yourself. 
And so, perfect. Now, how do they find you and the book? Yes, the book is on Amazon, and you can find me through my website, www.tammyanastasia.com, T-A-M-I-A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-A.com. And then you can always reach out to me by phone at 408-377-4716. And you can always email me at Tammy at TammyAnastasia.com. Perfect. This is great information, Tammy. And I appreciate so much for you being on the show and sharing that with our listeners. And so thank you so much. Thank you, Kim, for having me. It's been wonderful and a joy to meet you and, and do this with you. Yeah, Right back at you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Happens with Kim Hegwood. Be sure to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. wherever you listen to your podcasts as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens. The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship or constitute attorney-client privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice. Protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, attorney Kim Hegwood of Your Legacy Legal Care and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens. Now here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Good morning and welcome to Life Happens with me, Kim Hegler, and our very special guest today is Tammy Anastasia. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. No, I'm super excited because this is, uh, you know, talking about caregiver stuff is always very exciting for me. Uh, I've been a caregiver, so, and I'm very passionate about caregivers taking care of themselves and everything. So this is right up my alley today, as far as the things that, you know, are important to me. So it's, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be as good for the listeners. And today we're going to talk about essential strategies for the dementia caregiver. Mm -hmm. And so, and you have a unique approach. Um, I believe when I was, you know, reading through some stuff, um, you talk about helping caregivers, with a pace paradigm. Can mm-hmm. you can you break that down and let's sure. talk about what that is so that our listeners have an idea of what you're talking about? Sure, sure. So I have a private practice and I work with um, family caregivers, the primary family caregiver mostly. And what happens is as, the, as their loved one's brain changes because of dementia, you have repetitive questions. And there's certain things that I just saw right out of the gate that burn them out. They get tired and it depletes their energy. So I came up with the PACE acronym to PACE yourself because this journey can be years. It could be months. And I didn't want them to, they they need to conserve their energy throughout the, uh, the journey. So PACE stands for, P stands for permission for trial and error. Unfortunately, there's not a perfect, perfect, perfect uh, caregiver. There's not a perfect strategy that's going to work 100% for everybody. But what we want to do is you try something. If it doesn't work, let's learn why it didn't work, because often we'll be able to figure out why it didn't work will help us figure out what will work. And what goes hand in hand with permission to trial and error is to also be more patient with yourself. You know, it's a big learning curve to take care of a loved one with dementia. So one of the best ways to do that is to detach and not take what they say and do personally, which is really, really difficult. So I have this mantra, um, you know, dementia is causing my loved one to behave this way. And the more you repeat that over and over to yourself, it allows you to detach 
And then I respond more empathetically because when we take things personally, we react. And so I wanted to slow down that reactionary time and allow them to have more appropriate responses based on what's happening with their loved one's brain. The A stands for acknowledge their reality. Unfortunately, as dementia progresses, their reality becomes very altered. They have distorted perceptions. They have irrational thoughts. And the, the caregiver doesn't know how to interact with those changes. So in my book, I talk about how to um, communicate now. You communicate differently when someone has dementia. So I talk a lot about how to enter that world and communicate with them. Then the C stands for compassionate care, not only for the person providing compassionate care for the person with dementia, but also for yourself because it's an emotional roller coaster. So I talk about how to be compassionate with yourself and I normalize the feelings you're going to have. You're going to be angry. You will be sad. There's loss. We call it ambiguous loss, anticipatory grief. All these emotions fluctuate. So how to be compassionate with yourself and caregiver guilt is a huge issue. So I talk about how to deal with caregiver guilt. Then E is to empower yourself. One of the best ways to empower yourself is to educate yourself more about dementia, this process, take good care of yourself. And then I line up your ducks, what's coming down the road. Uh, in my book, I, I have all the questions to ask home care agencies. When is a good time to bring in home care? Um, hospice, um, when you go to a care community, all the questions to ask care communities and establish an emergency plan. God forbid something should happen to you, the primary caregiver, what will happen to your loved one? So that is pretty much in a nutshell what the PACE acronym is. So, so in your practice, um, you know, you talk to a lot of caregivers, you know, obviously in, um, in, in what you do. What do you think is their biggest um, challenge that they face, you know, taking care of that loved one with dementia? Yeah, there are several, there's several challenges. I would say the top three, one is definitely dealing with caregiver guilt. What happens for the family caregiver? All of a sudden, all these choices, all these demands, all these responsibilities are on your shoulder. And the caregiver is often concerned that um, sometimes what we have to do is go against the wishes of their loved one because they have dementia. So one of the most difficult challenges is they want approval, they want acceptance from their loved one, but their loved one has dementia. And this will trigger a lot of caregiver guilt. So that's, that's a huge issue, caregiver guilt. And again, wanting that approval and, and we have to put things in a frame of mind that allow the family caregiver to see that every decision you make is with the best of intentions, but that takes time to work through it. That's a huge issue. The other one is being honest about my limitations, what I can do and what I can't do. And allowing and bringing in support much earlier than most people do. How do you how do you give yourself permission? They're often afraid that if I bring in support, my loved one's going to get angry. So how do we facilitate that so that you your needs get met at the same time you're trying to meet your loved one's needs? So what tends to happen is the family caregiver their needs tends to go by the wayside while they're caring for a loved one 
and we want to make sure your needs get met, not at the expense of your physical, mental, and emotional well-being, but that we meet your needs as well. So those are two huge challenges that the uh, family caregiver struggles with. And the third one is, how do I relate to this person that I, has been in my life for so many years and that brain is being altered? That's a huge challenge, letting go of what was and learning how to now embrace my loved one as a person living with dementia. So I would say those are the three big, big, big challenges. There's more, but those are the three I would say are the top challenges. So, so let's kind of switch a little bit and let's talk about, you know, some of the whys. Sure. You know, um, you know, why does, you know, my loved one, you know, do this or blame me or ask repetitive questions and, yeah. you know, or just don't want help or argue, you know, those kind of things. What, what happens in that regards? Yes, great question. I feel the more we understand why behind their behavior, sometimes that really helps us know how to respond and react. So repetitive behaviors or repetitive questions, especially, that happens because of short-term memory loss. They literally don't remember asking you the question and or respond your response to the question. The other thing I like people to know about repetitive questions is there's often themes to the questions. They're either repeating something over and over that's memorable, something they're worried about, something they're concerned about. And we need to listen to what those themes might be because then we will know preemptively how to respond to those repetitive questions. When a person with dementia is argumentative, it's because they truly, truly, truly believe what their brain is telling them. And if you're, if you're challenging me, if you're correcting me and you're telling me I'm wrong, um, think about anything you firmly, firmly believe in. And I come along and try to dispute it. I come along and tell you, you shouldn't feel that way. Uh, I tell you the way you're feeling is wrong. You're going to get argumentative and you're not going to like me too much, right? So yeah. that's no different for somebody with dementia. They're responding the same way we would, except for what they may be thinking might be irrational, but they truly, truly believe what their brain is telling them. And then if they're combative, we see this a lot with personal hygiene. So we all have a defense mechanism. Anytime we think we're being threatened, our defense mechanism is to protect ourselves. Well, unfortunately, with people living with dementia, their perceptions can be distorted. You know you're trying to help them. You know you're trying to assist them. But if their brain is distorted and they see you as threatening, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to become combative to protect myself. Again, no different for us other than what they're getting combative about is something that's being distorted in their brain. We know what we're doing is, is to be helpful, but they see it as threatening. When that happens, that's a red flag. We have to change our approach. So it makes sense, right? If they perceive me as being uh, threatening, I want to protect myself. My defense mechanism is kicking in just like it would for any of us. But what I perceive to be threatening is very different than what a person with dementia is going to perceive as being threatening. And then let's talk about why they blame us for everything. Uh, they're very <laughs> accusatory. And unfortunately for the family caregiver, uh, you're it. 
most of the time because you're the one that spends the most time with them. So let me explain what what happens there. And, and again, this is just my my professional experience and my background in counseling psychology. Um, so what happens is, let's say, Kim, you were you decided one day you wanted to clean up your office and you cleaned up your office and you put files and papers away and all of a sudden you wanted to find a a piece of paper what immediately would you think where did i put it you can't really but you remember having it last right you remember you're the one who had this file i just can't remember where i placed it well imagine you can't even remember having the file Remember, you can't even, you don't even remember having the piece of paper. So the brain's default is, well, if I didn't move it, if I didn't touch it, someone else must have. So here again, it's just the default of the brain to say, well, if I didn't move it, then someone here must have taken it. And this is why they accuse you of taking it because they truly don't remember having it. Therefore, unfortunately, the family caregiver is to blame for it. So I help prepare people how to deal with these react, these reactions, these responses, because they're normal for a person living with dementia. And it really is learning a whole new skill set on how to deal with these things. But to help understand what's behind the behavior will help know how to respond going forward. So that's a little insight on why people living with dementia may say and do some of the things they do. Well, that's really good and helpful, you know, advice. And, um, and so someone that, um, that I absolutely loved and adored had an Alzheimer's and, and she mm. did repetitive questions, you know, all the time. And I just kept answering the same question, you know, so, I mean, I didn't know what else to do at the time. I was a lot younger then, you know, so I've learned a lot since then, but still, you know, it's, um, I think education is so important, you know, as far as having someone, you know, in your family or somebody you care about, you know, that has, you know, has the diagnosis and they're, they're going through this. And, you know, for the most part, we do everything we can to help, you know, our yes. clients, you know, get through the process. And so, yes, but, yes. So, but, you know, but now we reach the time where, you know, that they just can't stay home anymore. That's right. And, um, and so, you know, how do you make that decision that, you know, because I don't know that, you know, even though we asked the question, you know, when is the right time? You know, is there a right time? That's a great question. And it's probably one of the most excruciating decisions a family caregiver has to make. Again, because if they uh, vowed, did marriage vows, you know, well, always want to live at home. Unfortunately, I always tell people dementia demands more care than one person can provide because what happens as dementia progresses is that they lose every functionality. And so what starts off as something that's manageable becomes more and more difficult to manage because as your loved one progresses, their needs increase and they become more and more dependent on you for everything. So this is an excruciating decision for most family caregivers. And at the same time, they will often feel it's the right decision, even though it's excruciating. So some of the markers, and I have these in my book as well, is that safety. Safety always comes first. And as dementia progresses, uh, your loved one starts to, to become a little more unstable on their feet. They're a higher fall risk. 
and your safety has to be considered. If your loved one fail, could you pick them up? Are you in, in jeopardy of falling? Um, so safety is a, a huge criteria. And then also at some point where incontinence or personal hygiene becomes more and more difficult to deal with, that's often an indicator as well. Sometimes medication management refusal, uh, that might be an indication. And often there'll be more than just one. Like I'm listing a few, you're gonna have two or three of these indicators are going to be what's gonna say to you, you know, the time is right. And then also apathy. One of the symptoms of dementia is they become very apathetic and we know we've got to keep them as engaged as possible physically, mentally and emotionally. Right. And it becomes and socially it becomes really challenging when your loved one becomes very apathetic. And a lot of times I'll hear family caregivers say to me, well, they're just lazy. And I have to say, no, 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 it's not that they're lazy. They've lost that ability to be self-starters that to motivate themselves because of what's happening to the brain. So these care communities can provide that stimulation, that social stimulation, the cognitive stimulation that they need, and also um, the physical stimulation that they need. So those are a lot of the, the markers that we use um, in terms of to help determine when. And, and that's gonna vary from person to person, right? There's not going to be a set marker for, for across the board. It's going to vary from person to person, relationship to relationship, age, age, um, you know, and how is the family caregiver, who the primary caregiver is, how is this affecting your health? We have to factor that in because that is going to be key in terms of what you can handle and what you can no longer handle. This wears on you physically, mentally, and emotionally. It's a long journey and we wanna make sure that we provide the best support possible for the family caregiver, the primary caregiver as well, or care partner. So let's kind of close for a little bit with just a little more information, you know, for, for our caregivers out there. And so, and what can people expect as the dementia progresses? So what you can expect is it's, it's going to progress. And at some point, as I mentioned earlier, every functionality is going to be affected and it can be a very slow progression. Uh, it could be a faster progression. And that's the thing that's so difficult is uh, somebody, my grandmother had it. I don't want to freak anybody out. My grandmother lived with it for 22 years. And back in the day, they called it senility. And, you know, I was young, I wasn't quite sure. Now as a dementia consultant and a specialist, I'm like, oh my God, her symptoms were classic Alzheimer's. So what we can expect is what I said earlier is that is every functionality at some point is going to be taken away from them. And you're going to see little changes, little by little by little. Uh, in my book, I talk about how it's going to progress. You can also find that information on Google. You've got different stages and the stages will tell you, you know, also what to expect in terms of progression. So that's a way of really getting educated. And again, I address those stages in my book as well, but there are characteristics, you know, what starts off as maybe um, they can still go from point A to point B, but at some point now they're getting lost. They can't go from point A to point B. You're just going to see different things starting to get a little bit worse. 
And again, the rate of progression varies from person to person. But what they used to be able to do, you'll slowly see, becomes less and less capable of doing over time. Yeah. So it's really, really challenging. And it's heartbreaking to watch. Brilliant, smart, super successful people and to see what dementia does. But we can still connect with them. We just have to connect with them now on a different level. Yeah, it's important. I had a client bring me um, a picture of the, the spouse prior to the diagnosis and then a picture of today. And it was um, it was just a drastic, huge, drastic difference, you know, so uh, it was very sad. So first off, tell the listeners, what is the name of your book? Oh, the name of my book is Essential Strategies for the Dementia Caregiver, Learning mm -hmm. to Pace Yourself. And so, perfect. Now, how do they find you in the book? Yes, the book is on Amazon, and you can find me through my website, www.tammyanastasia.com, T-A-M-I-A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-A.com. And then you can always reach out to me by phone at 408-377-4716. And you can always email me at Tammy at TammyAnastasia.com. Perfect. This is great information, Tammy, and I appreciate so much for you being on the show and sharing that with our listeners. And so thank you so much. Thank you, Kim, for having me. It's been wonderful and a joy to meet you and, and do this with you. Yeah, right back at you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Happens with Kim Hegwood. Be sure to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. wherever you listen to your podcast as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens. The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship or constitute attorney-client privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice.